much of a big intro, so I've prepared a speech for you. No, I haven't at all. We're going to check it. There's the Word of God this morning. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Today we begin our new series, Life in the Spirit. We will look at Romans chapter 8, which has been referred to as Paul's Pentecost. The whole of this chapter shows us various aspects of the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. You may remember last year we took a number of weeks talking about the Holy Spirit, and this series builds on that teaching. Today's talk is A Life of Freedom in the Spirit. God wants us to walk in freedom. And true freedom can come to us by discovering life in the Spirit. Let's enjoy being together today as we learn more from this important chapter in the Bible. Have a great day. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Good morning. Okay, so we're looking at Romans 8. If you have got a Bible with you, I'd love you to turn to Romans 8. It's, um, hopefully there'll be some underlying and some note-taking for you today. Um, but I've got a message of freedom for us today. I've got a message for those of us who feel like we, we try, we try and do it in our own strength. We know how good God is. We know that he's brought us freedom. We know that our lives are changed here, now, and forever um, because of the goodness and the kindness of God. But sometimes we fail to live it out. Sometimes um, we mess it up and uh, we can't quite meet the mark or the standard that we set for ourselves. I don't know if that relates, if you can relate to that, I can relate to that, constantly missing the mark. And I know that Paul, who has written the book of Romans, can also relate to this, because we've heard um, that great bit of reading from Romans 8, where it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If that's not good news, I don't know what good news is. Saying, if you're in Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. That little niggling voice, that inner critic, that pointing finger actually has no power over you. So we're going to unpack that a little bit today. But I love the fact that it starts with, therefore. If it says, therefore, it means that it's, real, it's kind of making reference to something that was spoken about previously. So I, before we dive into chapter 8, I want to have a look at what Paul was talking about in chapter 7. Now this makes me feel connected to Paul, because here we see Paul. So we know who Paul was. He was Saul. He was a persecutor of Christians, just like those guys who bombed in Sri Lanka. And when he was Saul, he would have been all for that. But then he met Jesus Jesus met him on the road um, to Damascus. He was radically changed. No, he wasn't changed because we know change by its nature is changeable. He wasn't changed. He was utterly transformed, never to be the same again. And he was given the new name Paul. So this is who's writing this book, Paul. And I, this is where I can relate to Paul. 
because he's having a struggle. He's having one of those inner struggles where he's saying, look, I know that God's good. I know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual. I know that God's good. I know that Jesus has changed the trajectory of my life forever, but I'm a mess. I keep messing it up. And we get a little insight into Paul's life and his kind of inner dialogue and inner wrestling, which I don't know about you, but I can certainly relate to. He says this, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. I'm just sold as a slave to sin. Does anyone feel like that when we're singing songs about we're so victorious over sin, we're victorious people, and we're thinking, yeah, I know I am, but also there's a struggle that's going on in my flesh. There's a struggle that's going on because the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. The things that I hate, I do them. The things that I want to do, I don't quite manage to do them. I miss the mark. God bless Paul for having a vulnerability open moment here where we can also say, oh, thank goodness, me too. Because if you read it wrong, you could think, oh, I'm no longer a slave to sin, so therefore I shouldn't struggle with it at all. That isn't what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying this. He's saying that it actually no longer has control on you, control over you. He's saying you've moved a dress. He's saying you've moved a dress from a dead-end street where you're ever, forevermore going to struggle with your sin and you're condemned. You've moved a dress to a life that's free in the spirit where you're no longer under condemnation. So he says this, I do not understand what I do. Anyone can relate? You're like, I know this stuff. I believe this stuff. I know who God is. I don't understand why I do it. Why do I do it? I repent. I say sorry. And I do the same blooming thing again. I don't understand why I do it. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. Amen, Paul. I understand. He says, carry on in the verse. He says, for I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. He's like, I really try. I really want to do what's good. I really want to do it, but I can't quite carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. This is the inner struggle of the fallen human. This is the inner struggle. If you think it's just your struggle, it's not. Breathe a sigh of relief. You're off the hook. We're all in the same boat, even the Apostle Paul. I want to do this good stuff. I want to live this good life. I want to know that I'm victorious, not just on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through the week. I want to know this. I want to live righteously, but I keep messing it up. Paul knew it. We know it, if we're honest with ourselves. God knew it, so we had to send a savior. He had to send Jesus to get us out of this constant loop of, I'm trying to do it, but I mess up. Oh, God, I love you so much. I'm going to live my life for you. Oh, I've messed it up again. He knew that the law, us earning our way by our works and trying to do good, the law could never do it. We're never going to make it by just trying to follow the rules. He needed to send something to smash the law, to change the address, to change our address forever, from here, sinful, fallen, broken, God, I need to earn my way to you, to here, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If we get a proper understanding of who Jesus is, then it changes our thinking about everything. When you feel condemned, you don't live well. Feeling condemned doesn't propel you towards God. Feeling condemned leads you to do what Adam did in the garden, go and hide covered in shame. We all were shameful. Shame on you. Shame on you. Jesus came to smash it and say, shame off you. Shame off you. There is no shame for those who are in Christ. Those of us who diet might know this. If you mess up on a Wednesday, you think for the rest of Wednesday, well, I might as well eat whatever I want. 
And who starts a diet on a Thursday? I might as well start the following Monday. So then it's that kind of thinking, isn't it? Oh, well, I've messed up a bit. I've fallen off the wagon. I might as well just fully go for it. So I do it. If I know I'm starting a diet on Monday, Sunday night, I'm like, I need to get every bit of chocolate out of the house, and I'm going to take that upon myself to do that noble task. But it's that kind of thing. It doesn't, feeling condemned doesn't propel us towards God. God, it doesn't. It takes us off to a place where we hide. So I'm going to spend a bit of time just unpacking the passages before we get into the points because there's so much gold in here. I absolutely love the message version of this. It says this, with, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. You know, that fateful dilemma that we find ourselves in, that we secretly hide from everybody else because we think everyone else has nailed it. Everyone else is very spiritual and doesn't struggle with their sin. Not true. We're all struggling. We're all broken. Otherwise, we'd never have needed a savior. Thank God for Jesus. That's why it's good news. That's why it's called freedom, because we're all struggling with it, but we're not under the same law. We're not under the same law. We're under this crazy, grace-filled, undeserved law that there's no condemnation when we're in Christ. None at all. So with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying, black cloud. You do not have to live there. God does not, has not discharged that black cloud over your head. He hasn't. He declares freedom and Jesus and goodness and grace. The spirit, oh, a new power is in operation The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air. That black cloud that's hanging over your head, that condemnation that you feel that I missed the mark, I did it wrong, I did it again, I've messed up again, I'm never going to be able to get to the other side of that sin, that black cloud over your head, the spirit comes, the ruach, the breath of God, and clears the air. I love that. What a beautiful visual picture. Magnificently cleared the air. Thank you. Appreciation for my sound effects. It's magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He went right. Imagine sin, death, all of that stuff that holds us to account. It's like he's literally grabbed it around the throat and pinned it against the wall and said, you have no power anymore because of Jesus. Okay, so he went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. That's what he's done. That's what Jesus did. That's why it's good news. That's why we can say it is for freedom that I have been set free. It is for freedom. So these verses tell us that there's no condemnation. There is a great liberation. There is free salvation for those of us who want it. We can't do it on our own. Some other religions are like, earn it. Earn your way to God. Be as good as you can. Do this, do that. And sometimes we get a bit religious. If I go to church, if I serve on this team, if I do that, if I do that, then, then I'll earn it. It's not about earning it. It is a free gift. And you know what? If you're standing on the outside looking in, it looks blooming unfair that we get this free gift. That's why people go, I don't go to church. It's full of hypocrites. Well, kind of. We're just people who are desperately in need of grace, but we realize our need for it. 
When you're standing on the outside looking in, it looks unfair. When you are receiving that grace, it is literally, it is the breath of God clearing the black cloud over your head. When you're receiving it, you realize that it's a gift that we could never have earned by ourselves. So there is no condemnation. There is a great liberation, a free salvation. But then God doesn't stop there. God is exceedingly abundantly more. Dan read that version, that that Ephesians 3.20. He doesn't just stop there with the salvation. He then rolls up his sleeves and gets to full restoration in our lives. No matter what situation you're in at the minute, no matter what your life looks like, God will roll up his sleeves if you allow him and begin to restore the whole situation. It might be inwardly. Maybe you desperately need your heart restored. It's cynical. It's cold. It's hard. It's broken. God will roll up his sleeves and he'll begin to restore it. Maybe it's your outside situation. He'll roll up his sleeves and begin to restore it. So Romans 8, I love this. It's a really poetic book. It's a really poetic chapter. And it begins with this declaration. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And it ends with this absolutely beautiful verse in verse 39 where it says, There is no separation For those who are in Christ. Or nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. Nothing can separate you from Jesus. It talks about um, not death, not life, not angels, not demons. Nothing, no thing can separate you from the love of Jesus. My thinking here is we either then become open vessels to receive that love or we spend our whole life running from it and missing the mark. What a shame to do that. What a waste. What a waste. We can't outrun his love. His love is available and ready for all of us today. There is no separation for those of it, no separation and no condemnation. And some of us really need to hear that today. Some of us have a black cloud over our head and need to invite the spirit, the breath of God to come and magnificently clear the air. Some of us need to know that this condemnation is not for us. It's not for anyone else. Sometimes we create a secondary theology, don't we, of like, oh, there's no condemnation but. And then we make this hierarchy of sins, of things that people shouldn't do. And there's no condemnation, but you did that. Sorry, this is actually a really, really kind of far-fetched um, theology. It's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. There's no um, hierarchy of sin. There's nothing that we can do. I don't know about you. I used to feel under a perpetual sense of stepping out of my salvation. When I first became a Christian, I was always worried. If I do this, what if I do this? If I, I've done this, but I've messed up so much now. I've taken two steps forward and ten, tep- ten steps back too many times. Surely now I will. No. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more later. It's absolutely not a politically correct statement, by the way. We read the Bible and there's not very many politically correct statements by our standards today. (laughs) Thank the Lord, maybe. Um, It's not politically correct because it's saying, if you're not in Christ, you are up the creek. If you're not in Christ... That's why we've got to be really clear about preaching the message of Christ. If you're not in Christ, then you have to account for your own sins. You have to pay for them yourself. If you don't want to accept the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, which wasn't just kind of a kind of slightly flaky white man dying on a cross and then came to life and all was good. No, he went down to then to take the keys of death and sin and to smash it forevermore. If we don't buy into that, if we don't accept that, then we have to pay for them ourselves. And we know that the wages of sin is death. 
The wages of sin is death. Now, it's not politically correct. However, don't let anyone try and kind of manipulate you or smart you into thinking that this is an exclusive message. It's not. There could not be a more inclusive message for the whole of humanity. It's almost like Jesus with his arms stretched on the cross saying, come one, come all. doesn't matter what you've done, who you are, who you choose to relation with, what choices you make. Everybody is welcome. It is an inclusive message for the whole of humanity. So the emphasis on this chapter in the Holy Spirit is obvious. It's all about the Spirit. It's talking about through the Spirit, through the Spirit, freedom through the Spirit. So in, um, it's five, we talk about the Spirit five times, chapter 1 to 7. Uh, chapters 9 to 16, it's about eight times. In this chapter alone, it talks about the Holy Spirit 21 times. It's like, it's about the Spirit. Let me remind you about the Spirit. Let me remind you about the Spirit. Let re- let's remember the Spirit is God. We know the Holy Spirit. We've got Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're all God. They're all God. But this is particularly about the Holy Spirit. And the word that they use is pneuma, which I love. <sighs> Breath. The breath of God. It's talking about breathing in and breathing out. It's where we get the root word. It's a root word that pneumonia comes from. You know, it's the same spelling. It's talking about our lungs, our, our breath. I love it. And someone was telling me the other day on the academy that Yahweh, one of the um, Jewish words, for one of the Jewish names of God, you, don't, you can't pronounce it. It's not pronounceable. The way that they write it isn't pronounceable. The best way to understand how to pronounce it is to breathe in and to breathe out. And I love that. It's breath like he's the very breath in our lungs. If we want to live, if we want to survive, if we want that breath, we need to breathe him in, Yahweh, breathe him out, Yahweh. And it would be theologically and linguistically correct for me to use the pronoun she or he when talking about the Holy Spirit. I don't want to get too steeped in always using masculine language. It would be theologically and linguistically correct. Um, Numa is, is feminine in the Hebrew. It's neuter in the Greek, which means it's neutral. It's neither male nor female. It's lat- in Latin, it's masculine. And I love this message that God can teach us through this. We can't box God. We can't put God in a gender box. So we can, Holy Spirit, she, she hovered over the waters. He hovered over the waters. I'm really happy to unpack that with somebody if you feel offended by that. But God is beyond the idea of gender. So just for the next 10 minutes, let's just unpack three truths. In fact, three incredible, life-changing truths that if we begin to get an understanding of them, we can walk with our head held high. There's something about people who know that they're free, that they're not under condemnation. They live differently. We, they live differently. We live in a, in a different realm. Our address has changed. The world's living here, earning it. Good work. Three incredible truths. The first one is this. Freedom, the freedom we have in Christ is not for a moment or a season. It is secure it's irreversible, and it is eternal. Regardless, I can begin to, to steep into, get into that feeling, I'm, I feel bad, I feel undeserved, and I begin to then feel a sense of condemnation over my life. That doesn't propel me towards righteous living. That propels me to go, and that kind of pushes me to go and hide, and that's not God's plan for us. We are safe, we are secure, there is no condemnation over us in Christ. Often I hear people say, I just feel so condemned. I did this, I feel so bad about this. I just feel under so much condemnation. But feelings don't speak eternal truth. The word of God speaks eternal truth. Our feelings are great, 
They're great. Our feelings have been given to us by God, and they're great things to get curious about. Why am I feeling this? What does this feeling kind of, how can this feeling propel me towards closeness with God? But our feelings aren't very trustworthy, particularly with large eternal truths about our salvation. We cannot rely on our feelings. I feel condemned. I feel like this. We need to let the Holy Spirit testify. Lorraine's going to unpack this in a couple of weeks um, about how the Holy Spirit testifies to our adoption. There's a great bit in verse 15 where it talks about how we've been bought as a son and not as a slave, that we're no longer slaves to fear, but we've been bought with a price as sons and daughters, and the Holy Spirit testifies. That means when we forget... When we begin to feel that sense of condemnation, when that black cloud above us begins to start doing its thing, that we don't rely on our feelings, we ask the Holy Spirit to testify. Holy Spirit, come and testify to me again. Who am I? Come and remind me who I am. Come and remind me that I was bought with a price. Come and remind me that Jesus did away with the old way of doing things and there's a new law in action which brings freedom into my life. Next time you feel yourself or you see somebody, you see your husband, your wife, your mother, your friend, your whoever it is, your colleague, and they begin to have a pity party around that black cloud, they begin to descend into that, remind them you were bought as a son and a daughter, not as a slave. You're not a slave. Remind them of the eternal truth. Ask the Holy Spirit just to to nudge them and to testify to them, to testify as to what happened when Jesus adopted you as his own. So if you're in Christ Jesus, there is no valid reason why you should ever again experience fear or apprehension about your relationship with God or about your eternal destiny. Now that doesn't mean you won't experience such fear, but it means that we have to write it with the word of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. I'm going to read you this quote. There are many who misunderstand this idea of no condemnation in Christ. They seem to think of the Christian as a person who, if they confess their sin and ask for forgiveness, then they're forgiven. At that moment, then they're no longer under condemnation. But then, if they should sin again, they're back once more under condemnation. Then they repent, they confess their sin again, they ask for a pardon, and once more, by the grace of God, they're cleansed. So to them, the Christian is a person who's constantly passing from one state to another. I'm condemned, I ask for forgiveness, so I'm not condemned anymore. I messed up, but I ask for forgiveness, so I'm forgiven now. That's actually not what it's teaching. It's saying you've moved a dress. You're not, um, you're not nomadic. You're not kind of hoboing your way around. This is your address. This is where you live now. You live in a place where there's no condemnation. There can't be. The word that's no means never. If you dig into the root word when it says there's no condemnation, it means there's never any condemnation. It's done. It's finished. What did Jesus say on the cross? It's finished. It's done doesn't mean you jump from one to another. Oh, but I did this and that was so bad. So I need a bit of punishment for that. Oh, no. Grace is not fair if you're on the outside of it. But if you're a recipient of grace, there could not be any more good news in the world. And Paul goes on to tell us that this isn't a get out of free jail pass for sinning. You don't think, oh, great, I've moved a dress, so I'll just do whatever I want now. That actually this grace, this freedom propels us to holy living because we don't want to do it anymore. The more, the better you understand that you're not under condemnation, the less you're going to get stuck in your own sin. That's just how it works. It's, it's how it works. Something begins to change in us. Now, it says, he goes on to say, according to the apostle, this idea is a wholly mistaken nation and a complete failure to understand your position. The Christian is a person who can never be condemned 
he can never come into a state of condemnation again. That's good news. It would be very valid to stand on your seats and turn around and throw your hats in the air if you've got them. This is good news. This is life changing. Woo! This is life changing God news. You, good news. You can never come into a state of condemnation ever again. If you're in Jesus, if you're not, you need to account for it yourself, which is why I'm going to ask you at the end if you want to say yes to Jesus, do it today. Because I, I, don't, I don't want to stand in, God, in front of God and account for my list of sins and mess ups and the things that I repeatedly do, even though I know I don't want to do them. I don't. I want to be able to say, he paid it. He did it. Jesus has taken all of that upon himself. That's what atonement means. He then becomes a sacrifice. Remember in the Old Testament, they had to use animals. God used that as kind of like a little bit of an indicator, a little bit of a trailer of what he was going to do through Jesus. He said, okay, you've done this, so take two goats, a sheep, and get sprinkle a bit of blood, do a bit of this, do a bit of that. But we don't need to do that. Jesus became the final atoning sacrifice for us. That's why we, call, we talk about the blood of the lamb. The apostle isn't talking about his experience when he talks about no condemnation. He's talking about his position, his standing, and his status. The meaning of the word is no. I said that, didn't I? It means never. Okay, so that's your fir the first point is that incredible truth. And then two quick ones just to wrap up. Number two, freedom is a gift and it isn't a reward. This freedom is a gift for you. It isn't a reward. You can't earn it. You can't hustle for it. It doesn't mean that you have to do more, be more, read more, do better stuff. You might do all of that out of the overflow of the grace that you've received, but you can't do it to earn it. We cannot earn this grace. All our works are a result of grace. Show me a bunch of tired, irritated, emotionally unhealthy Christians, and I will show you a bunch of people who haven't had a revelation of the grace of Jesus. We don't need to do more. We don't need to hustle more. We might want to do more out of the revelation of grace that he's given us. We might want to then think, wow, I want to serve on an alpha team because I want people to know this. I want to be on a host team because I want people to know and feel welcome when they come into church. But we don't do that to earn it. That's going to get us nothing. It's, it's nothing. That's why when people say, but my friend will get to, this is, sorry, this, is a not, this doesn't land well into our culture of today. But when people say, but my friend's a really good person, well, good for them. Give them a slap on the back. They're still going to have to account for their sins. Nothing that they do. No working for charity. No, what, whatever it is, we can't earn it. It is a free gift. We all need a savior. God hasn't left us high and dry. We need a savior. He's been very clear about the fact we need a savior. If we're honest with ourselves, we know deep down we desperately need a savior. He's done it. It's done. It's finished. You just need to say yes. The freedom we have in Christ is a free gift of grace, and it's received by faith. That's all you need to do. Receive it by faith. I'm going to ask at the end, who wants to receive it by faith? I'm going to ask you, just put your hand up. No one's going to be watching. Maybe we need to recommit again. And that takes me on to my final point. Because this freedom isn't theoretical, it's transformational. When we understand this freedom, we will be transformed. That's God's desire for us, that we are totally and utterly transformed. We read about that. And I absolutely love this in the message. It says, so don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us. Nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. The best thing to do with your old life, your old way of doing things, is give it a decent burial. Who needs to give their old life a burial? I do. 
I need to give my old way of life and how it kind of sneaks into my new way of life every so often. I want to bury that life. That life is no good for me. It tells us to give it a burial. God loves you just as you are. If there's literally one message you can hear today, God loves you just as you are. But thank God that he loves us too much to leave us just as we are. He doesn't. He takes us on a process of transformation. All we need to do is to fix our eyes on God. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, the living and breathing God. Now listen to this. This is where I fall short. This is where I mess up because all I need to do to accept this is to fix my eyes on God. When I get fixed on my own way of doing things, my own life, my own way of solving issues, my own way of trying to improve myself, self-improvement, all that kind of stuff, I miss the point. I utterly miss the point. All I need to do is fix my eyes on Jesus. And some people need to hear this for the first time. Some people have got a bit stunted in their growth. Some people have regressed a little bit. We've taken two steps forward and three steps back. No matter. We just draw a line today and we decide we're going to fix my eyes on Jesus. It's as simple as that. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads, leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about themselves than God. The person ignores God and God isn't pleased with being ignored. Like I said, for some of us, this is new territory. You're like, oh my gosh, can I get, can my life be transformed? Yep. Yes, it can. Story after story after story in here who people's lives have got transformed. Some of us are thinking, for some reason, my gaze has shifted. I would put myself in that category. I think, oh, God, my gaze has shifted a bit. I've started looking at myself. There's a few things, I think, when life gets a bit tough or something happens. For me, I was kind of thinking around this a little bit. I think something around um, those of you might be in the same stage of life. You know, having two young boys, it's family, it's hard. It's a bit of a tricky season of life. And instead of me going, God, this is a really tricky season of life. I'm going to fix my eyes on you. I've gone into full SAS survival mode. Right, okay, what can I do? I need to do this. I need to plan this. I need to make sure, da, 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 da. And I fix my eyes on myself. Something might have just jolted you or nudged you a little bit into fixing your eyes on yourself. It God's not angry. He just reminds us. He just gently lifts our heads and say, no, if you want the transformation of the spirit, it's not an inward plan or a hustle or an earn or a reward. Just fix your eyes on me. That's all you need to do. Keep your attention on me. Look what I'm doing. Our character is transformed and then we become more like Jesus. You know how when you're married to someone for a while, you begin to look similar? Because you kind of, you, or someone looks a bit like their dog. <laughs> No offense if you've got a really ugly dog. Um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of that principle, isn't it? You just begin to kind of come into the likeness of the person that you're fixing your eyes on the most. What a beautiful example. God's like, fix your eyes the most on me, and then you'll be transformed into my likeness. Beautifully profound, but beautifully simple. That's all we need to do. So that's what I'm going to invite us to do this morning. I'm going to invite us... Hopefully, we've got a bit of an understanding of we've gone along, that we're not condemned, that we're completely free, that this is a free gift, and then this should inform the way we live, that we can be totally and utterly transformed. You might not have known this before. You might have some stunted growth, or you might have taken a few steps back. No matter, today we draw the line and we decide, as a body of people or as individual followers of Jesus, we're going to fix our eyes on Christ and be transformed 
from the inside out because then we live this freedom life that God has for us. So I'm going to ask all of us to stand. Um, I think then when people respond, if they want to respond, they feel less vulnerable in doing so. So I'm going to ask two things. I'm going to ask if there's anyone here who hasn't said yes to Jesus and isn't quite into the idea of standing before an omnipotent, omnipresent God and accounting for all their sins, if they'd like to say yes to Jesus today. So he can do that for you. He is the atoning sacrifice for you. So I'm going to ask while people's heads are bowed and close your eyes, if somebody wants to say yes to Jesus, we do this, we do this every week. It's a simple step. If you want to say yes to Jesus, maybe for the first time, or you're returning to him and deciding, Jesus, I need to say yes to you. I cannot account for this stuff on my own. Then I just ask you just to put up your hand. I'm only one watching. And I'm going to pray for you. I want to chat with you afterwards and pray. Who needs, to, who needs Jesus? Who needs to say yes to him? And then I'm going to pray for those of us who maybe have stunted in our growth a little bit. Our eyes have become fixed on ourselves, on our situations, and we want to fix them on God. Today is our day where we're drawing a line in the sand. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up. I'm just going to ask you to open yourself to God, whether that looks like opening up your hands or raising your hands, getting on your knees, whatever it is you need to do. It's between you and God. And I'm going to pray for us. And I'd love you to continue this prayer into your week, maybe with the prayer team, if they could pray for you afterwards at the end. Jesus, we want to be a people who draw a line in the sand into trying to hustle, trying to do it ourselves, or looking at our own way of doing things. Jesus, I pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would come and gently lift our eyes, be the lifter of our head, lift our eyes to you, and then allow you to do this transforming work in you. Holy Spirit, thank you that you hovered over the waters in the beginning and that you created order out of chaos. And I pray that if some of us feel chaotic and we haven't quite understood what it is to be free, that you would create order out of our chaos. Thank you, God. We declare you're good. You're kind. Thank you, Jesus, for the eternal truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus, that changes everything. Thank you that you could say it is finished and then that starts something brand new in our lives. So I pray that you'd breathe, our, breathe your life over us, hover over us, breathe your spirit into us. And I pray for this week that we could be reminded and ask you to testify to us as to who we are, that we are sons and daughters no longer under condemnation. In Jesus' name, amen. What a message. Wow. You need to get a podcast and go through that again. God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us. There's a prayer team available. If you'd like some prayer, please hang out. Don't rush off. Grab a tea, coffee. And next week, 4 p.m. at Windmill Farm. Family-friendly service. Let's get that music going. Stay around and connect with some people. <laughs>